0: Welcome to The New School.
1: What we wanted to do was talk about the concept of authenticity and vulnerability in an industry that has typically been super buttoned up, super professional, and a little bit old school. Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of the new school video podcast. If it's your first time tuning in, my name is Candace Carlton, and I'm the head of advisor growth marketing at FICOM partners. FICOM partners is a marketing and PR agency, and we have solutions for advisors at every stage of their growth. I'm joined as always by my fabulous co-host and the CEO of FICOM partners, Meg Carpenter. In this episode, we got the opportunity to speak to Stephanie Bogan, who's the founder of Limitless Advisors. She helps advisors, financial advisors, and founders create bigger, better futures on their terms. So if you look at their website, the tagline is work with greater success, live with greater freedom. I mean, who doesn't want more success and greater freedom? In this episode, she shares her journey of What that path looked like for her personally. She had found the success, but had she found the freedom? And she'll say she hadn't. What is her number one secret ingredient to finding both those things together? And how does she coach advisors across the country to do the same, including Michael Kitsis? Well, you'll just have to tune into the episode to find out. You'll also, for the first time, hear our CEO being live coached by Stephanie Bogan. So really interesting, different episode. Let's get started. We are so excited today to be with Stephanie Bogan, the founder and CEO of Limitless Advisor. Stephanie and I used to work together at United Capital, so we're fast friends. And we've had the opportunity to present on some of your virtual webinars with all your advisors. But Stephanie, I think you run a coaching program that's unlike anything we've ever seen out there. Even when I've seen you speak you come at it with a very different type of energy um, and a different kind of vibe, if
2: that makes sense at all. Yeah. Like, what is that? And where does that come from? Uh, that is, uh, my team calls it the Steffi sauce. It's kind of a standing joke. That The truth is that's me. And if you go back and you look at my career for the first 20 years pre-retirement in Costa Rica, you didn't always get that. Like, I've always had really cool, like, sassy, straight-talking, in your face, I call it the truth over sugarcoating. You can always count on that for me. But there was always an element of reservation. Like how am I, you know, as a woman in a man, like how am I supposed to show up and I'm supposed to be serious and I'm supposed to be a professional. My husband brought in the cover, I was on the cover of financial like 100 years ago, right? And he was, we were joking, my team did a thing and you know, rode around the edges. And I'm like in a, no joke, a pinstripe suit. And I'm like this. <laughs> no no joke. I mean, it was like, it was like my body, but a man was, you know, I was like, what am I doing? And so when I retired to Costa Rica, which was, I don't know, what was like eight, nine years ago. A little while ago, it's been eight years. Um, there's a whole story behind it. But for me, it was really what I had achieved this level of success that, you know, I grew up in a trailer park. So let's just set the bar. So for me, I had achieved a level of success that was unlike anything I had, you know, d- it was the dream I had had. And then I kept working at it, and working at it, and working at it. And just for some reason, that success wasn't satisfying, you know, and everyone thinks that I was just this really awesome business person and got all these results because I was so good at it. And I was pretty good at it. like, I'm not discounting that. But what I realized after the fact and the work that I did was that for me, all of that success was the striving for significance. I thought like, oh, if I make more money, you know, it'll give me some sense of meaning. And I, I didn't even think those things consciously, by the way, because most people don't. And I think that for me was what I ha- what I got to uncover in Costa Rica. You know, we, we joke, you know, we go off and we find ourselves. But haha, I really did. Um, And I found that I liked this me a whole lot better for one simple reason. Uh, She cared a whole lot less about what other people thought of her. And so I have always been outgoing and in your face and hopefully in a happy, positive way. And I just couched it for so many years that when I unretired, and there's a whole story there, but when I unretired, I said, here are the rules. I'm going to do really cool shiznit, I'm being very polite right now, with really cool people with one rule. No fear. Oh, there's a third rule, which is I'm going to apply every business lesson I ever learned, like, like fanatically. And that required number four, which was no fear. Like, I'm just going to uncork it no matter what. Um, and I have to say, honestly, it is exactly what you'd expect. It's a gravity. There are people that don't call me and I'm just so okay with it. But the people that do, they are just ready to sign up for, right, having more and better work wealth and well-being and they want to be more of who they are and they want to build a better business and they're ready to do what it takes. It's real work. It's just not the work that most people think it is.
0: So, I want to see a copy of that financial planning cover <laughs> and I will swap you with a picture, oh. a headshot. <laughs> I but
2: have I, it right like, there. Do you want to see It's sitting I on do. my floor. It's
0: sitting it, on my floor. <laughs> I, have, I have this headshot that like, you know, it still exists out there on the web yeah. and the publications always find it, but it was taken ages ago and I look like a wax figure, you know, <laughs> I'm wearing a black blazer and my hair is curled. And I look like, it's like if you go to the wax museum and like that's Meg Carpenter and I cringe when I see it, because I said, I, I think to myself, what was I thinking in that moment? Like when I was taking those photos, what was going through my mind? And it was not who I am, you know, it was more so how I thought I needed to present myself yeah. to the market. And so We have to just like swap those so that we have examples. We, Stephanie, were talking to Michael Kitsis last week. We did a live podcast recording with him from the Wealth Management Edge Conference. And he was talking about a very similar concept to what you just shared about really only caring about the people who you're aligned with, who like share your vision and values and what freedom there is to that. And he was sort of talking about, you know, even in, he was saying in this room, in this exhibit hall, we were in a conference. He's like, there are people who are sitting here in front of me who are eager to hear me speak. And he's like, there are people on the other end of the exhibit hall, getting their coffee, who the last thing that they want to do is hear me speak, you know, and there is so much freedom to being able to have that level of focus and, and really a discipline around it. I would say that I'm on my journey. I feel like I'm not quite as far along as you are um, in not caring about what people think (laughs) about me and staying super focused. But in the last few years, I think that I've made like really, really important steps forward and the alignment that I've felt and found and the power that it's given me has been like totally profound. And so I know you do this work with financial advisors and I love that you're working with advisors that are coming to you and saying, yes, that's what I want. What are some of the tangible impacts that you've seen? What are some of your favorite stories of the advisors oh, that are, are limitless advisors? Oh my gosh, there's
2: so there many, many stories. So yeah, well, one, I think just you you and Candace and I were having this conversation before, you know, before we kicked off the official recording, which is We all want that. I mean, if we're really honest, you know, the reason that I retired was because I had pulled every lever I could think to pull to create that level of sort of success and satisfaction that I just kept striving for that was going to be around that next corner. And it just literally I built a successful business, you know, from trailer park to successful business, to selling it at 38, right. To being able to retire to a beach in Costa Rica, which is an awesome experience and I just got to the point where no matter what, what levers I pulled, no matter how good I got at the business, no matter, you know, fill in the blank, I just couldn't get. And I think that's what we're all looking for. So when I, you know, when I hear you talk about that and I think about what my clients experience and I know the conversations that Candace and I have had is we're all looking for success that is satisfying. Mm-hmm. The issue is that most of us haven't taken the time to define what that actually means to us. And, you know, when I pre-retirement, right, I worked with large firms, I helped build United Capital, right? So I literally from tiny firms starting up all the way through sale and acquisition, hundreds of M&A deal, like all of that. And in the end, people were coming to me because they weren't satisfied with their level of success, whether it was small, medium or large. And so, you know, when you think about the stories and what's possible for me, what I discovered on the beach in Costa Rica was what is that lever Is there a lever that I haven't pulled yet to to really be, have, achieve, and experience more of my success? Not to double it or triple it, to just actually learn how to enjoy it. And it's funny that you mentioned Michael. He's one of my clients. And we did a webinar last summer. We talked about the power of mindset and the shifts that it created for him. He's grown 10x in three years. It's more than 10x in three years now. But that's the story he tells. And people are like, what did you do, <laughs> Stephanie? <laughs> you know, like, first of all, I'm not that good. With Michael, I'm really a great sound. You know, you need a sounding board. But it really boils down to when you ask better questions, you get better answers. So I think, Meg, very much to your point, when we sit down with advisors, very much like you do, is we're really asking them to get clear on what it is. I call it building a wildly successful business and a life that you love. I think if you're going to invest your time, your energy, your heart, your soul, right, to help clients achieve their financial life and freedom, that you should really be able to do that in exchange, right? It should work both ways. And there's so much sacrificing along the way. And so if we can learn how to sit in a place that says, I know who I am, I know what I do, I know the value of what I do, I can charge for that without apology or hesitation. I can do that in a way that delivers deep value to clients. And then I can run a hyper-excellent business, right, efficient, effective, enjoyable, that will empower me to enjoy the ride and the rewards. So I was like, how do we do more of that? So when I when I went off to the beach in Costa Rica, I learned about mindset, came back. Very much to your point, we started applying it in Limitless. Story after story. So I always talk about Adam, who's one of our advisor coaches. He tripled in 18 months. Wow. In 18 months. He went from charging. This is a true story. He sat across from a client. He quoted them. The $600 financial planning fee. The spouse, the wife, looked at the husband and said, that's less than a shitty car payment. Let's do it. Like, true story, right? So he tells the story of he's walking down the stairs with his wife and she looks at him at the end of, she was an optometrist at the end of a long day. She looks at him and she says, I hate that the people, the place that I hate is getting the best of me and the people that I love are getting the worst of me. Mm. And Adam tells the story of like standing on the stairs and just thinking to himself, this is my, like... I'm not, I'm making all these compromises at work. And as a result, so he came in and he's like, I need to make a hundred thousand dollars a year so that my wife can quit her miserable job and stay home with our girls. And I was like, that is such a goal I can get behind. He tripled in three years. He's tripled again. He has a 40% growth rate of ideal clients. We have to turn on the waiting list a couple of times a year. Like we're solving for that. And, you know, Ben Brandt has grown to a million dollars. He takes um, like half the year off. Tanya Nichols grew like, we're like, Story after story of advisors that have doubled and tripled. We call it building a million dollar practice, right? Taking 100 days off your Fridays off or your summers with your kids. There's so much more freedom and flexibility possible. And we were doing this before COVID, but post COVID, the world has radically changed. So you really can build, whether it's a small practice, we call it a lifestyle practice, and have a really great quality of life and still great economics and a great client experience, tech and Allows you to do that now, and you can build a billion dollar firm. And oh, by the way, you can actually do that and still have a life. It's just that, which is why I love conversations like this. You know, I gave myself the title Chief Possibility Officer for every reason. (laughs) You know, I know it's one of your questions for a reason. And it's because I genuinely love the idea of people understanding that your methods are really important, but so is your mindset. And when you put those two things together, very much like Michael, very much like Adam and Ben and Tanya and Taylor Schulte and like Kathy Curtis, like down the list, advisor after advisor. Because what it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, is that the only limits we have are the ones that we place on ourselves. When you think about your practice or your niche, or your fees, it always breaks down to what do you believe? And what I learned on the beach in Costa Rica is that my belief in myself is my greatest currency. And we weren't when we learn how to leverage that, the sky is truly the limit. Okay, listen, we need some online coaching right now. <laughs>
1: like, because I hear a couple of things and that's and exactly like what you said is exactly what aligns with what I've experienced when you're coaching or speaking, right? It's it's a different sense of presence. It's not necessarily about the outcomes, but it's a very grounded self-belief. So When I, I know you're working at United Capital and then you retired and you went to Costa Rica and you had some self-reflection. I think like everyone has some kind of moment like that in their life. It just looks different if you really like move into it. And I think the opportunity there, which some people don't take is, when I hear I've pulled all the levers I could possibly pull, there has to be another way. And I've had that life experience myself when I had massive anxiety, and insomnia from it. You just think there's got to be a, a
2: got to be a better way.
1: Got to be. There's the something. Success happens.
2: thing was actually supposed to feel good. Yeah. And somewhere along the way, we got taught that it doesn't have to, and that's just not like we need to raise the bar on that. You it's really reasonable But what I hear when you say that,
1: and what I experienced myself, and I know a lot of people do this, and I used to speak to advisors all across the country in terms of they're taking stuff to sleep too, you know what exactly. I'm saying, because like, they're stressed. But I hear surrender. And when you say Michael Kitsis was a client, I see the shift in his way of being, now that you've said that, I actually hadn't put it together. Like, I, I see that. So for someone who's listening and they're like, gosh, like, I want to drink this Kool-Aid. I'm not entirely sure what they're talking about, but like, this sounds cool. (laughs) And like, like, you know, your limitless advisors to your points of stories, not only are they shifting mindset, like they sign up again and again, and they're like getting like tremendous business outcomes. So it's not like, we're not saying that thing, but if they, if someone was to start with step one, what tangibly is that thing that they can do or shift? Like, if I'm like, Stephanie, this sounds amazing, but like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you guys talking about here?
2: So let me give you, so there, here's what I know. We've talked about, right? My retirement and this. story, we've kind of talked around it, right? So mm-hmm. my personal story, and I'm gonna give you the very abridged version, but my personal story is that when I was, I grew up in a trailer park, no joke. Um, so I can make fun of people who grew up in trailer parks. I have full real permission to do that. Um, Cause I was one. And but at nine years old, my mother was diagnosed with a mental illness right after my sister had come we, my baby sister, who was nine years younger than me, had just been born. And the next nine years of my life were like, take that snow globe and turn it upside down, panic attacks, psychiatric hospitals, pill bottles being passed around, I think from elementary school, because my dad was in the military before that, from kindergarten to high school, I think I moved like 13 times. And half of those were after my mom got sick and it was family members and friends and not great. Let's just go with not great experiences. So I moved out when I was 17 and really, so I've been taking care of other people and being responsible since I was nine, being on my own since I was 17. I started my first business at 24, right? So I don't necessarily follow the conventional path, but all of that, the reason that I share that is because I just kept doing and doing and doing to feel good good or better. And you mentioned insomnia and anxiety. I loved my time at United Capital. I and mean, I feel like the work we did it was and is one of my greatest accomplishments, hugely impactful. Love that kind of work because I got to blend like the business piece with the behavioral piece, even before that's what I knew I was doing. And so when I retired, it was just because I just didn't know what else to do to find that feel good feeling. And I knew I needed some space and I right? And five years ago, I'd sold a company like, why was I still doing this? And I was sitting on the beach and I was reading and because right, what, what does everyone do when they retire and they don't have to work anymore? Well, they go study the science of success and happiness, right? That's, no, that's not what you do. That's what I did. So I spent years and I'll never forget. I was sitting on the beach reading a study from Carnegie Institute and it was in 1906 called Engineering and Education. And they were really studying it, it, the the basis was education, but the study really concluded like, what does it take to be successful at learning, change, growth, right? Like moving from point A to point B. And I thought, ooh, this is right up my alley. This is good stuff, right? I'm reading three factors to success. Environment, right? You know, Gandhi, you know, Ganda is different than New York, is different than Idaho. Skills, love this one. You can either have them or get them. The third factor was psychology or mindset and i thought yeah, that that syncs up then the next line literally blew my mind this is the moment in my life that i will always look back to and go like before and after and it was of those three factors your success is 80 percent governed by your mindset mm-hmm. and i was like wow and then i was like what's mindset <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'd read self-help books and stuff, but I could never apply them in a way that made me feel better. And I'm a results-oriented person, as you ladies know. So my brand is results. So I was like, what what is this mindset thing? And so the science of success genuinely is that you have, on average as a human, you have two brains and one mind. And they're not always working together and they're not always acting in service. We have on average of 60,000 thoughts a day. 80% of those thoughts are negative. Mm -hmm. Ninety-five percent of those are on a replay loop. So I want, like, literally, eighty percent of our thoughts are negative, and ninety-five percent of them are running in our mind over and over and over again. And what are those? What are those voices? Like, literally, what's that five percent or that ninety-five? So when you think about it, you're having conversations with the voices in your head, right? Meg, you have—I have—I joke. I have voices in my head. We all do. Who are the voices? No, legit. I was like, who are the voices in my head? And the science says like, that's your belief system, right? Your, your inner critics. Sometimes they're positive, but we all as children create belief systems as a child who had the experiences that I had that were great, right, difficult and traumatic. I came up with some belief systems. Like I genuinely believed that you had to be perfect to be pleasing. Mm-hmm. And when you weren't perfect in my house, bad things happened. Or you had to achieve. You had to, or achieve. you had to achieve, right? I've had clients, you know, who it's it's crazy. I've had clients who were hyper successful. They get to a certain level and they just plateau and they can't break out of it. And it turns out that they grew up in a family where you know they didn't have a lot of money, and one of their parents or they had some influence. It was like you know those people with money or the people on those side of the tracks, and so. The interesting thing is by the age of 35, we are essentially 95% hardwired thought habits and behaviors. We are in a condition loop. And so we get stuck in our current condition set. And that becomes the breakdown because how many times have we shown up and said, I want to double the business, or I want to expand, or I want to do this, or I need to get my time back, or it's not to be, And, and then we show up and we do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Day after day. And the stories in our head are we can't, we don't want to, we don't know how. And that's just not true. We're conditioned to think small because our brain is based on hardwired, right? Your limbic system. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain has one job deep, deep down. Do you know what that job is? Survive. Don't die. Yeah. Do not die. It's not thrive, it's not be fulfilled, it's don't die. Mm-hmm. So when you're an advisor and you're sitting across from a prospect, And they ask you for a discount or they're too small, but you don't want to say no. What happens in that one fifth of a second? Do you go through a rational business process of, right? They're not ideal. Do they really fit? What's this really costing me? Is this, no, you're just like, "Ah," fight or flight. And I can't do either of those. So I nod and then I just get through it. And the other side, I'm just kicking myself. And then we do that over and over and over again. And so we just create, it's what I call a crisis of confidence is we can pick almost any issue from starting a business to telling your story, to setting your fees, to building your team, to succession. And your methods are going to be about 20 or 30%. But the rest of it's really, what are the thought habits that you have? Like, what are you conditioned to believe? And so what I really figured out on the beach in Costa Rica is that mindset really matters. And we are all governed by the quality of our thoughts. And you're in the business of, I'm in the business, and the advisors or anyone listening to this, we're in the business of thinking. Mm-hmm. When you get paid to think, the quality of your thoughts matters immensely. Okay,
0: I feel like I want to ask you for live coaching right now.
2: <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> do want to talk about?
0: <clears throat> so one of my thought habits yep. that I have, and I've done work and talked a lot about why, but I carry a lot of shame with me. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of it is because I grew up in the most amazing, wonderful, loving, nurturing, cared for environment and very privileged. And my mom, who continues to be like the most amazing woman I've ever encountered, is just like so well known. She's an educator and very well known in the education community. And so then also our local communities is Dr. Peterson. And she's just kind of everything, you know, and and, and leads like a very virtuous life and is just such an amazing woman. And so growing up, there's three of us girls and we're always striving to, you know, we didn't want to let her down, right? Because we're Dr. Peterson's girls. And so there was expectations that were set and so not from her but in my own mind when i fell short of her expectations or then later in life my own expectations there was there is a real like shame around how could you do that? You know, like you knew what the expectations were and you fell short. And so I have continuous loops in my head of those moments. Some of them are personal. Some of them are professional, but they show up in the moments where I actually want to be experiencing joy or I actually want to be really present in the moment. And it's almost like my subconscious is telling me like, you don't deserve this joy. Right. And I know that it's a self-limiting behavior. I know that I have to break the thought habits and I've tried to do a ton of work on it, but I still find myself, you know, it's like when I'm kissing my daughter and, and putting her into her crib and I'm like so grateful to be in that moment. And then I have like a flash of something in my mind that's like a thing that I did wrong. Yep. Yeah.
2: So do you want to know why that happens? Yes. So one, your brain very kindly is trying to protect you from disappointing, right, other people, and what it perceives will be the negative consequence on the other side of that. And when we're little kids, by the way, we don't, from zero to seven, the reason that those belief systems are formed is from about zero to seven, we have no ego. Mm -hmm. So if I walk up to you and I'm like, you're mean and you're ugly and I don't like you, you would be like, okay, whatever, right? But if I walk up to someone who f- who feels like they might have been a mean person or they don't feel pretty, and I say, you're mean, and I'm ugly, and I don't like you on the inside, that person, we, we say it has a place to land here. Mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. And so in those moments, our brain, that survival system is kicking in and saying, hey, we need you to shrink back a little bit. Because what happens when you put yourself out there in the world? And now we're going back to caveman time, because our brain hasn't evolved a lot since then, by the way cave people will be fair. <laughs> right? It's not looking for more and better. Right. And so there's this point where it's saying, hey, we've got all the berries we need. We don't need to ask for more. Who are you? Right. Other people will have different stories. So here's what anyone listening can benefit from. Candice, going back to your earlier question, because mm. I love to talk in tangents is if this is the literally the biggest discovery in behavioral science in 100 years. And it, th- this is essentially what I learned on the beach, which is events have no meaning mm-hmm. except the meaning that we give them. So when the prospect says no, there's a story in our head that says if we do this, bad things will happen. But here's the crazy thing about our brain. This is what really got me working on it is it's not doing it in service of us. It's shrinking us. It's giving us that crisis of confidence. It's creating a case. I call it the case of the smalls. It's stealing our joy, and so in that moment, your brain is based. Meg, you put it really, really well. Is we're basically a meat suit, and a consciousness, and a bundle of thought habits, which turn into behavior habits, which for right this professional podcast turn into business habits, Mm -hmm. and those habits govern everything that we have be an experience. And so when we elevate the thought habit, that's the work. So you're in this space where essentially the condition state that you're used to, I ha- right? I have to behave a certain way and perform a certain way. And what I find for me, when I went through that journey, you're going through a transition, I call it the messy middle. Mm-hmm. And the messy middle is you're learning how to reframe those thought habits, those belief systems, I call it the BS. And you want to essentially get rid of it, eradicate it, and then replace it with a new empowering belief. So here's a quick brain science. This is going to, I find understanding how my brain works really empowers me to take charge and have agency over it so that you can actually apply this right softer stuff.
1: And also, I think just adding to that, I feel the same way. If you know how your brain works and you can depersonalize it to this is how brains work, yes, there's less high impact. Yeah. You know?
2: So when I found out that there was this lever that led to a room of levers, I was like, wow, I can exercise some, con- I'm a control freak. I can mm-hmm. exercise some control here. I need to learn about this. So your brain is made up of neurons, right? We all, we understand this. So I'm, this is not a great visual, but imagine that this is my neuron, right? And we have neural pathways, right? And if I draw a little like hairs off of this and those neural pathways are the pathways in which our biochemistry thoughts, right? And ideas move around. There's I'm going to call it brain glue because it's a really long, complicated word, but around your neuron, your cell here is brain glue. And each of those pathways is held on by brain glue in that moment. When you're in that space, and this is what you're trying to do, Megan, and the, those I call the invisible forces of resistance show up, is you're trying to live authentically, freely, and with joy. Yes. I call it living above the line, empowered, successful. Everything is figure outable. I'm happy. Like, we'll get there, it'll be fine. And our brains like to take us below the line. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, above the line. If you literally draw a line on a piece of paper and you draw a plus above it, think about all the good stuff, abundance, joy you know, creation, the idea for the next big leap in the business, all happens in that awesome place. Draw the line below the line, draw negative sign, right? That's where our fear, uncertainty, our doubt, and our anxiety and stress live. And so when we're conditioned or we have belief systems that keep us below the line, and then we're trying to get above that resistance, I call it incongruence, And I lived there for so many years and it's the reason I am retired because I was like, oh, there's actually a way out and I need to tell people about it. Life on Mm -hmm. the other side is not perfect but it is about a thousand times freaking better. Mm -hmm. And I'm just talking about like the money and the success. I'm talking about the ability on a bad day to still be joyful Mm -hmm. and positive and be like, it's going to be okay. We'll pick it up tomorrow and I can still go be with my kids and be present. Mm -hmm. That's what I think in our own way, whether it's golfing or kids or climbing mountains is we're all looking for it. Can I have that success? It's really satisfying. So that belief system, that that pullback of I need to hesitate because I don't feel it. We we could talk a lot more about it. Some part of you doesn't feel safe feeling that joy. Mm. That's a neural pathway. That's a belief system that when you get to that moment, when you hit your thermostat. So we all have a thermostat for success, happiness, and wealth. Relationships. And if we don't reset that thermostat, no matter how hard we try, we're coming back to 76 degrees, no matter what. That's what you're experiencing. You're turning it up. You're saying, I'm going to let it over here. I'm going to sit all that stuff down. I'm going to be free. And your brain's like, Meg, no, 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 Meg, hold on a minute. If you are not on top of your shit, literally at any moment, someone could be unhappy with you and that would feel bad. And our brain doesn't do the other half of the equation. It tells us how it's going to help us survive. It doesn't do the other side of the math. It doesn't say at the cost of what. What? At the cost of what. And so we can reframe that. So the science behind it is you literally need to replace the neural pathway that you don't like, the old BS story, with a new and better one. There's only so much glue. This is the exciting part, ladies and gentlemen. When you think, so a belief is nothing more than a thought we think over and over again. As a kid, at some point you were like, oh, I should probably dress this way because mom, Her eyes light up when I do and she gets that scowl on her face, right? So what I tell people is you don't have to grow up in a traumatic, bad household. If you are human, this is really important. If you're human, this applies to you. The only exceptions, according to science, for those of you who are like, this doesn't apply to me are sociopaths and psychopaths they, they don't literally have to do in. If you're human, you have conversation with the voices in your head. And if you're honest, you know that 90% of those conversations do not serve you in your business, in your body, in your bank account. And when we can, one, create awareness, that's why I have these conversations. You actually have this consciousness happening in your head. And then there's that other stuff happening behind the curtain that shows up. And if you can take agency over that, so we We do the work of like, okay, what's the limiting belief? What's the story behind the shame? So if you disappointed someone, Meg, what would it mean?
0: I mean, it's mostly myself, you know, disappointing myself, not living up to expectations that I've set for myself.
2: Right. And if you don't live up to them, how does that feel? Crappy. Right. But what, what is crappy? Like, tell me more
0: what does it feel like yeah it feels like hot
2: embarrassing you know right and if you're an advisor and you're faced with a prospect or another situation it it it, no matter who we are it feels like some version of i'm going to get eaten by a hungry tiger and i'm going to die right someone's going to be unhappy with me i'm going to lose my revenue and so the first question we can ask ourselves is a are things working for me b does it feel good and right, you guys are super successful. You have a great life. I I know you. You're working on the feel good part. And so, what happens when you get to that level of awareness where you say to yourself, "Hey, I want to be a happy, wholeer, more conscious person," and I'm willing to do that work? Then the real work begins. And then we have to sit with ourselves and say, "What's not feeling good? Mm. How's it showing up for me?" Right? For Meg, it's showing up in that space of when I get to that moment. If you if you paid attention, my guess would be. And I'm guessing a bit, great, we haven't had this conversation, but it's in those moments where you have the freedom to feel joy and it's pulling you back.
0: Totally.
2: And it's saying like you you could, but but we don't have that security and safety that says if we live on the we're not worried about pleasing everybody's side of the line, it's still going to be okay. Right. Right. So each time that that thought pattern comes up, there's real coaching, right? Conversations, of course, but exercises anyone can do around any limiting belief is one, I call it truth and lies, or building better beliefs, which is do that line exercise, right? Look at your life. I do this with business. You can do it with time. It's great with time where you should be spending it, plus and minus. Everything above this line is energy creating. In a business, it's revenue producing. Right. Hmm. What you love to do that you could do for 27 hours all day long, twice on Sunday. Right. Below the line is. So what when you think about your life or your business, what's above the line? Like, I love my revenue below the line. I don't like my revenue. I love that I have a steady pipeline. I don't love that I have. I'm great at telling my story. I suck at telling my story.
1: Everything so this aligns with strength Finders, right? And like whole Marcus Buckingham theory about doing things that give you energy.
2: Yeah, I have this theory about energy, which is there's no neutral except for those couple of seconds when you wake up. You either move into that above the line, I call it success state. It's the only, the definition is empowered. Mm. Empowered. Everything below the line is disempowered. Anytime mm. you are facing a situation not feeling good, I don't care what it is, you're disempowered your number one job. So Meg, the work here is step one, create the awareness that, hey, so there, when I have moments where I get to live more freely and fully the way that I've been working toward, there's the resistance is popping up for me. That's the work, mm. right? So there's a sh- story that you have around shame that f- that makes you feel like you need to shrink back. Right. And when we uncover the story, so if you think back about your childhood and your experiences, like you have the general idea, right? And it doesn't sound like anyone, you know, no one is beating you up because, right? No, it's all in my own head. We do it to ourselves. So no parent is ever going to have a child that escapes having some limiting beliefs. Mm. Our job is to know that if we can, and then to empower them to be aware of it and ultimately teach them, right, how to address that as adults. So when you have a limiting belief, step one is you've got to identify it. It can't be you. You want to separate it from you. So awareness is give that feeling a name. Oh, I call it the whirly wheel or the spin cycle. I have this way that I get where the inside is like, it's like being on the treadmill, like two speeds faster than you can comfortably go. Mm. And you're like any minute now, I'm going to go flying off the back. So I know I'm like, oh, I'm in the whirly wheel. What's happening Mm. in that moment? This is the work. You stop because we are all so conditioned to avoid our feelings. Twice as true for men in our culture, but we're taught that feelings are weakness and bad and growing yourself is woo woo. And hey, you know what I know? I'll do anything that works. And the results are pretty awesome. So sign me up. But when we get to that place where we don't acknowledge that we don't feel good and it's not working, we stuff it. I'll try harder tomorrow. I'll find a better time management system. I'll get frustrated with my staff and roll my eyeballs one more time. I'll pick up a new marketing strategy instead of taking the time to really hone and refine and craft this one. And as a result of that, we just keep stuffing and busying and stuffing and busying and compromising and shrinking. And the net result of that is oftentimes the more successful we become, the less satisfied we feel because the stress Mm -hmm. and the complexity and the overwhelm and the feeling of having to keep it all going is a lot. I know. I felt that. My clients feel that. When you're starting, there's all this I have to to get going and some enthusiasm on the other side. It's fear of falling. And so it's really about what are the stories that we're telling ourselves. So in that moment, going back to our neural pathway, when you think that thought, you're sending that biochemistry across that pathway. Every night at the end of the night, when you go to sleep, there are cells in your brain called basal ganglia. I call them gardening cells. This is cool. Their job is to clean out the garden. Anything that doesn't belong there and is not useful, it needs to go. So what do we mostly think about before bed? Good stuff. Above the line, below the line? Below the line. Yeah, most people are like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Tomorrow I've got to do this, blah, blah, blah. So when, when we think a thought, that is the neural pathway, the biochemistry rate, the biochemicals use that pathway. It's like a marker. So those basal ganglia, the gardening cells, their job every night is to go in and to clean out the neural pathways that aren't getting used. Mm. Now, what are the ones that we're using, according to the science, 95% of the time, right? The ones that keep us, I'm not even going to say they're bad. They just keep us squarely where we are. They keep us squarely rooted in the status quo. If you want to shift, so you can do all the woo-woo thinking and affirmations you want, but at the end of the day, you got to get your brain on board. So each time that that happens, Meg, so you're gonna have, I'm gonna give you an exercise to do, and then you're gonna bring that exercise into your daily life. And the exercise is, what's the truth? What's the, what's the BS and the belief? And what's the better belief? So what's the belief around shame? Like what happens if we let people down? What does it mean about you? That I'm failing. Okay, and what does failing mean? About you it
0: means i'm not living up to my fullest potential i'm letting people down
2: and is why is that not a, what about that is not okay
0: i mean i think that i i think that i am better than that right better than what like i don't feel like i'm a type of person who lets people down
2: right but what does letting people down mean to you
0: I mean, it it all comes back to expectations, you know, like I'm not meeting expectations, meeting people's perceptions. Mm
2: -hmm. And what happens if you don't meet them? What if you really did mess up?
0: I mean, I don't think anyone other than myself would really care.
2: Right. But what's the feeling on the other side of that?
0: What's the possibility on the other side of that?
2: Yeah, Like you're feeling shame around it, Mm -hmm. but shame is a positive story or a negative story a negative story. Right. So could you reframe that negative story into a new and better story?
0: I'm sure I could.
2: Right, so let's just, for sake of time, like let's just, cause we can talk a lot more about this, but let's just say that this the shame story, like if you had to characterize your shame story. So for me it was, I need to be perfect to be pleasing, right? On the other side of perfect was a big, bad, scary bunch of feelings based on my experience, right? Somewhere you had an emotional experience Where the idea of or letting someone else down, like it landed with you, whether you remember it or not, it landed. I have one for mine. Mine is
1: if I don't achieve, then I'm not lovable.
2: Yeah. Great. So our number one, like there are five core beliefs that we all at the end of it really suffer from. I am not enough. Not Mm -hmm. enough is the number one disease on the planet. Barring a handful of unicorns. Most of us have some area in our life or some, right, force of, like, some area where we don't feel our enoughness. And man, when we fix that, everything else gets so much easier. Two, I'm not important.
1: Mm.
2: Three, Meg will really appreciate this. Mistakes and failures make me bad.
1: Mm.
2: Now, there's a big difference between mistakes are bad and mistakes make me bad. Mm. Right. And so somewhere along the way, right. And if we had more time, Meg, right. We were (laughs) squeezing it all in. Somewhere along the way, the idea that not living up, which is another phrase for mistakes and failures, right. Not meeting someone else's standard makes you.
0: A bad person. Something
2: something you don't like. It might be bad. It might be not important. It might be a disappointment. Like, and that is a feeling that at all costs, your brain wants you to avoid. So in those moments of joy, when there's no discernible reason why is it kicking in and protecting you from feeling that? And that's what you're really, that's, I call it incongruence. You're feeling that and you're doing that work. It's a story. If I let people down, it will mean blank and I will feel, I will be blank. Mm. And what we wanna do is reframe that into one, is it really true? Right. Meg, is it really true? If you wow. let people down, are you bad, unimportant, a disappointment, any of those things? No. So, what is it you're really avoiding? Failure. Yeah. Because failure is, right? There's the belief number three mistakes and failures make me bad. Mm. And if we believe that, like how often do we talk about, and especially as found, like, oh, mistakes are okay. We love, you know, our team can make, but in real life, that's not what most of us, that's not the experience set that we have. Right. And so we learn to, at a subconscious level, try and avoid it. Hey, you know, instead of be here, being here enjoying the baby, you should be in there making sure you finish that whatever so that you don't miss a deadline and let somebody, like somewhere, right? That's So that's all happening in your brain. When you pause and you say that feeling is showing up again, that BS story, right? Oh, I'm having that feeling that mistakes are bad. What's happening? What's happening? Oh, I'm in here with the baby and I've got that report due. Like there's a reason that that is surfacing at this moment. Question number two, what's happening really? Oh, what's really happening is that shame story of I'm supposed to be working more or busy, that that story creates behavior. And as we don't have a lot, we have great right, from a coaching perspective, but that story is showing up in some way. And in this case, it's showing up by you pulling back at work. It's showing up in some other way. And so when we reframe that story and then we replace the old one. So this is the cool thing about the brain glue coming all the way back around in that moment when you stop and say, what's really happening is the spinny cycle or the shame story is showing up again. Then you can get to point number three, which is, is it really true? Hmm. You can sit with yourself, not the feeling because now it's outside of you and you can reframe your relationship with time, money, success, failure, anything. And when you reframe your relationship with failure or the possibility of failure, in particular, you start to do things, little things that somehow 10x your business or 3x your business because now you can pull those lovers from a much more informed in conscious place. Like, oh, I'm afraid of doing this, but it, you know, there's a strong business case for it. So in that moment, when you think that thought and you go, wow, it's not really true. Next step is what's the new and better thought. And you'll just get to a point where you just go from, oh, it's, I'm happening again to boom. I, and then the new and better thought is that's what I, that's the work. What is the story that you want to replace the shame story with? So for me and Candace, it's a beautiful segue to where you started, which was, hey, you show up in this vibey, whatever way for me, the, sh- you know, I don't have to be perfect to be pleasing. God, I spent 20 freaking years trying to be as perfect and as awesome as I could be. And it, in many ways it worked out great, but it was kind of soul sucking. Mm-hmm. so for me, the new story was, I don't need to be perfect. I need to be authentic. Mm-hmm. I need to be authentic and the right people will be attracted to that. And the people who aren't, they're just not ready for me yet. And that's totally. So what I really figured out on the beach in Costa Rica is that mindset really matters. And we are all governed by the quality of our thoughts. And you're in the business of, I'm in the business and the advisors or anyone listening to this, we're in the business of thinking. Mm -hmm. When you get paid to think, the quality of your thoughts matters immensely. Thoughts and stories like, hey, I'm really great. I wasn't perfect today, but I showed up with authenticity. And that makes me a good, you know, whatever it. we can build your little story. When you do that, more glue, Mm. right? And then the biochemistry goes across that pathway. So guess what the gardeners don't do that night?
0: They don't clear it out.
2: They don't clear that one out. And if you do that each time, you're not going to do it every time, but you're building that awareness habit, which is the most important habit that any of us have because we're on Autopilot 95% of the time, we're in the car, we think we're driving, but according to the science, our belief systems are really driving the show. When you do that over and over, the glue each time has to go to the new neural pathway, has to. So what happens when you spend more of your energy focusing on the new and better thoughts, behaviors, and habits, and less and less time on the old ones? Eventually, literally, there's not enough glue to keep the old neural pathway attached there's a video of this online. It is super cool. And you literally see the neural pathway just drop off. And Mm -hmm. that is when we talk about, right, like what Stephanie before and after the biology of my brain is actually different in that I just took agency over the voices in my head and how they were showing up. And that's the opportunity that we all have.
1: Stephanie, this has been a power hour of coaching. I already have my paper with my plus and minus signs here above the line and below the line. Um, Thank you so much. You know, as we close out every episode, I feel like we could have like rounds of this. Um, We ask two questions, really, and they feel kind of trite now, now that you've given us that coaching, which is like,
2: uh, one, uh, where can people find you? Yep. Uh, They can find us at LimitlessFA.life, and they can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn, Steph Bogan or Stephanie Bogan. Yeah,
1: you're good on Twitter. I feel like you're very active. And then we ask every
2: single guest, what does the new school mean to you? Oh, that is such a great question. Um, In the context of this conversation particularly, but certainly around marketing, to me, it's really about... Setting down our conditioned thought habits, behavior habits, like that's what you guys are really helping people do, mm-hmm. and you're like it's all baked in, which is why your stuff is so effective. It's it's setting down our case of the smalls, right? It's saying that we're not going to be governed by our conditioned circumstances or our conditioned thinking. That we're going to be elevated and aware and conscious of the world and what's changing and all that is possible. And we're going to reframe our relationship with marketing. We're going to reframe our relationship with our business and our time and our success. And that's just what I love about you guys is that you're so aligned with what we do is just let's turn everything on its head and let's look at it in a different way. And what you know when you do that is that you lean in and you get exponentially better results and it's a lot more fun.
0: Thank you so much.
2: (laughs) It's my pleasure. Thank you. That was amazing. (laughs)